This episode of Midwest Mania Outdoors is brought to you by the Broadhead Barn and the Red Arrow Sense. Thank you. This episode of Midwest Mania Outdoors is sponsored by thebroadheadbarn.com, home of Red Arrow Sense. Hands down, the best cover scent on the market. Go visit thebroadheadbarn.com for all your archery needs. Good evening, this is Justin from Midwest Mini Outdoors. We have a special guest, Troy Fowler, better known as the Ranch Fairy. Don't mind my stupid dog in the background making noise. Enjoy. I'll stand there and eat a couple pounds of Hello? Justin, what's going on? What's going on, brother? <clears throat> well, we've got five or six deer down and shot a pig and it's been busy. Hey, sounds like, sounds like my day. But mine was just running, running, running. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But any doing a little bit, doing a little bit of culling this week just to hey. get our population down. So uh, hey, you, can, you can send your population, you can send your population up this way. We got hit with CWD the last five years pretty hard. So oh, that's terrible. Yeah, and Illinois is not managing managing it right. Instead of letting hunters go take more, they pay sharpshooters, third-party companies to go and do it. And they hunt them over corners. Yeah. So. How do you get that gig? I don't know. Uh, you got to know, know somebody. I think that and my mom's, a, my mom's an insurance broker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, the insurance companies love it because if there's not that many deer, there ain't that many collisions. Sweet. And yeah. So that's what it is. But oh, uh, couple couple questions. What do you like better, hunting or fishing? I'd honestly rather fish. That same here, dude. I'd rather I'm fish. Older. I mean, I'm I'm old. I've always liked fishing, and I like tricking them. I I really I haven't fished with bait in a hundred years, and I love when you pick, when you trick them. I mean, I love it and. This year I went snook fishing. I've already been snook fishing this year. I've been to Louisiana. I went to Wyoming trout fishing. I'm about to start bass fishing. It needs to get colder here to start the bass fishing for the kind of spring thing. And then gotcha. I'm going snook and trout fishing in January, February. Really, I I love fishing. I like the fact you can catch fish all day and just throw them back. Shoot yeah. here, it's like, ah. Uh, the word <laughs> Yeah, you gotta like, mess with it. I just hook a trout and go, yeah, that's it. Woo! Fire it back and keep going. Like I'm like this time of year is like prime time bow season up here, but it's also like prime time walleye season too. So oh, I'm that's the problem. It. That's always been the trouble with me is dude. So back when I was younger, are you recording? You want to do this yeah. on the podcast? You're recording? Yeah, it's fine. I'm recording. Yeah, I'm gonna start recording anyway. I don't care, dude. That's okay. I I talk my podcast ain't scripted, so Okay, that's fine. We can do we can go wherever, but um the when I was a big time bow hunter in my twenties, I would fish all summer and then bow season would hit and I'd quit fishing. Well, all the old guys always told me I'm now an old guy, but all the old guys <laughs> would tell me then, buddy, you're missing it. You need to be here from September 15th to December 15th down here on the beach. That's when it gets crazy. And now 
I have a very hard time getting serious about wanting to hunt in the fall because the fishing on yep. the on the beachfront and in the bay just gets silly down here. It's really good. Everybody goes deer hunting, so there's no, there's not that many fishermen out, and yeah. it's just spectacular. And it's not hot. You're not sweating. You wear waders. Oh, so much better. So I love fishing. I mean, I really do. And that's, I'm planning that's to like, put up some more fishing content and stuff. That's like where I am. Along with the book. I, yeah. I, I, I pro staff for an archery shop down near you. It's more towards Oklahoma, like northeastern Oklahoma or southeastern mm-hmm. Oklahoma, like Paris, yep. Reno, Texas, in there. And I've been friends with the mm-hmm. owner for about 12 years now. And yeah. I can't, I, I'd rather fish. I and mean, we have ice fishing here. So I can fish all year long. I really want to. And well, with bass fishing really gets good in Texas in the winter when it's about 50 degrees outside, the water temperatures in the 60, you know, low, high 50s or 60 degrees, somewhere around there. You yeah. can get those bass going on a jerkbait bite that you wouldn't believe. They will pull slack out of the line and take the and bend the rod, hitting those jerk guys so hard. No, you do you guys have smallmouth down there or no? We do in the rivers, and then we have a fish. the The state fish of Texas is called a Guadalupe bass, and they are they have a patch on their tongue. They look like they have a red eye, kind of reddish eye, and they look like a smallmouth, and they fight like a smallmouth. I mean, they're angry as hell. They're super yeah. fun to catch. They don't get big though. They get you know, the state record is probably four pounds. Hey, but when you get them going, you'll catch 30 of them, 40 of them a day. I mean, then they, you know, you get them on the right gear, you get them on eight pound line on a spinning rod and it's fun. You just fish appropriately. That's, I don't know anything about walleye and ice fishing. That's ice fishing to me. sounds <laughs> like a good reason to drink whiskey. <laughs> drink, <laughs> Yeah. Drink whiskey and listen to hockey games pretty much. But if you get, yeah, dude, right. if you get out, if you get on like, there's a a place that's only decent during the winter when it freezes over. It's a little oxbow off off a river, and it's public access. But like in the summertime, you only have like x amount of public access. But when it freezes, you can walk that whole oxbow that's two and a half miles long. Oh wow! Yeah, we found we found crappie in there. We found northern bat, largemouth bass, bluegill, but the bluegill bite in there, if it's on, it's your two poles constantly and just pulling them up. And they're like, oh, not little, they're, they're like, they're like 10 inch bluegill in which we, I only, I keep my limit and throw, throw the rest back. And I go out with a couple guys from my church and they get mad. And last year, yeah, right. we went I'm just whack them. It's, uh, <laughs> I really do enjoy it. I really enjoy fishing. The snook is, is the most destructive fish. I've, tarpon and snook. I've caught some tarpon. And the other day, I caught two 30-inch snook back-to-back down in Brownsville. It's way down deep south Texas. There's only two places where there's an actively fishable population of snook, and that is Florida and deep south Texas. And I've been wanting to do it, and I start to say, man, you're 52 years old. You're going to die one of these days. You need to start doing things. So I booked a guy down there who's really good at it, and a super nice guy named Ernest Cisneros. And he put us on the snook, and the first one I caught jumped four times, and he damaged the leader 16 inches from the hook. 
I don't doubt it. And he said, tie tie on like a five foot, seven foot leader. He said, you're going to be cutting. He said, every time you catch a snook, you got to cut. There's no, there's no, they're going to damage the leader. And then if you don't right. cut it, you'll stick a big one and you'll lose it. You know, you're breaking off. Yeah. I couldn't believe that fish, you know, was 30 inches long and, and the leader was significantly nicked on 30 pound fluorocarbon. 16 inches from the bait. That's crazy. We have a, like, there's a couple, there's a couple great, like, creeks and rivers I fish, like, it's like 10 minutes away from my home altogether. Yep. yep. One has, it's like, if it was a trout stream, it would be like a blue ribbon, but it's, it's loaded with smallmouth and, like, big smallmouth, like 18 plus inches. Nice. And, and the water's crystal clear. Yeah. But, no, nobody. It was like a small group of people that fish it, but everybody around here wants to fish for catfish and big flatheads. And I said, "Dude, you're missing out on smallmouth and stripers and walleye. You can keep oh, them." Oh yeah, no, I like the small. I like the creek fishing too. I, not creeks, but we went to Wyoming three years ago, pronghorn hunting. A friend of mine drew. Uh, he waited. He sat on points in Wyoming for like fourteen seasons. <laughs> just kept drawing points because that's what it took to draw. I think it's Iron County. It doesn't matter. Some county oh. in Wyoming, there's uh, the number one Boone and Crockett. It was a rifle hunt. Boone and Crockett, uh, Pronghorn County in the country. Like just statistically, that's where the Booners come from. Yeah. So he draws this tag and he says, you got to come. And on a, on a wild hair, one of his friends said, hey, man, where you're going there's river X and Y up there and just, just go like take fishing gear in case you shoot one quick. Well, we scouted pronghorns for five days and we found one that he ended up killing. He, it stayed in the same little Canyon that was kind of sneaky right in the middle of the flat. There was this little ditch and it was about 400 yards long. And this, this dadgum pronghorn this big one stayed in that ditch the whole time. He was somewhere within 400 yards of these telephone poles. And every day we drive through there, sit there for either five minutes and find him or 30 and find him. And open the morning, we shot him in 30 minutes. And we just dusted his butt. And he was done. And so yeah. we had five more days. And we said, well, we'll go, you know, we'll go try the rivers. And we caught 20 inch rainbows and brown trout and had a hell of a time. So I went back with my son this year and we smoked them. I mean, Rainbow trout and brown trout hit lures harder than anything. Oh, yeah. I don't know a fish that hits so hard. They are mad. They are we, uh, really mad. So I got to pick our vacation for this this year. So I decided to go to Yellowstone on Father's Day and my birthday is around the same time. So make a so make a long story short, I went into the we stayed on the gardener side of Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And uh I went into the fly shop there and I the owner is part of backcountry hunters and anglers, and I got to know him through the Illinois chapter and just talking and all that stuff. And he goes, "You come in here, I'll, I'll tell you where to go." And it's and it was like three days before, three days after everything opened up. Mm-hmm. So all all your big rivers were like, all the access points were like crowded, and so I went went up higher in elevation, and I whacked the crap out of burp trout up there. 
and I didn't care they were 10 inches. And a lot of it, like, I fly fish. But, man, when you see a a, bur- a, a 12-inch burkey come and eat your fly, you set the hook. Yeah, it's fun. And, and they're, yeah. yeah. Man, then we're, we, were uh, just fish- my- we were just fishing with spinning gear the first time because, and, well, both times, but the first time because we just threw rods in the truck. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't think we were going fishing. We thought we were going pronghorn antelope hunting. Well, we shot an antelope in 30 minutes. Well, we literally saw, spotted the, the dadgum thing right where he was had been for a week at daybreak, went up on the canyon and blew him down and said, okay, well, now what? And that afternoon, we went in there and just proceeded to put the stomping on them, just throwing floating Rapalas and, you know, six-pound line on spinning gear. And it is so much fun. And like I said, they're so angry. I mean, they oh, yeah. really... They smoke it when they hit its front hooks. You know, they're chewing. <laughs> None of this bad you, stuff where they kind of tug on it. Got to let them eat it a little bit. That's BS, man. Have you thought about coming coming this way and fishing the Great Lakes for uh, Harbor Brown, uh, German Browns and lake trout and steelhead and all that stuff? I have not. I've, I've still got a, I've got a very, very bad saltwater problem. Like, it is... <laughs> you know, bordering on psychosis, and I've had it since I was born. I've never fished a salt, so. Oh, it's just, there's so many fish to catch. And then um, down here in the summertime, we're going to go back with Ernest in the dead of winter and try to go catch, I want to catch a 30-inch speckled trout. I've caught a 29, and 30 is kind of the the magic thing. You catch one over 30, a 30 or longer, that's a, you know, that's, a bucket list deal and then in the summer we wade fish down here you jump out of the boat you know it's waist deep and you go flogging along and wade along and blah 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 they yeah. get snook at up to 35 inches on top water <laughs> and i want to do that i want to see a two toilets flush when my top water gets eaten by something that's 35 inches long and they jump I mean, they have nowhere to go yeah, they're going airborne. That's a uh, like smallmouth here. Like there's a creek yeah. I fish like comes off the. And it, I live in the like third worst city per capita, in the United yeah. States. And I fish downtown, and I don't ever get messed with. And man, there's like this. I lose you. Uh oh. You still there? I am now. Okay, yep. my wife called. Hang on. Oh, okay. Did I get you before it started? No, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> huh? He's laughing. I thought it didn't start until 7 30. Do you want your pop? Okay, I'll go do my podcast. <laughs> She thought she thought I started at seven thirty. Oh, I've been married for going on thirty years, buddy. It's no big deal. Yeah, happy wife, happy wife. Yeah. That's <sighs> and uh, but I was throwing a a huge topwater popper on a rod that I never should have thrown it on. I was throwing it on a three way. Uh-huh. And also, also this toilet bowl flushed behind it. It was a freaking musky that came up and ate the popper. I never got it in, but it jumped and it was 
30 inches, which that's a small muskie, but it was something I was fishing the other day on the beach and it was really, really pretty. And the, the conditions were really good. We just, I just couldn't figure them out or they weren't there. One of the two. And then about four o'clock, the birds started working and I jump out. I've got a big 400 series level wind loaded okay. full of 20. So it probably has 250 <laughs> yards of 20 on it and a very, very stiff. It's actually a musky rod. Mm-hmm. And uh, eight and a half foot long, and a and a four ounce popper. It's like six inches long, <laughs> and you can just flat launch that thing. You can throw it eighty yards, and so the birds are working. And I want to eliminate all the dinks and hope there's some jacks or something under there, right? Yeah. And so I'm chugging my popper along, whoop, whoop, in the about half a hood swirl, and a shark <laughs> ate my leader, my wire leader, and the popper. Just, he just said. <laughs> He just said, yeah, you know, I'll just take that. Go, go, go on. I was like, damn, yep. gum it. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's it right there. It's leader and a, and a popper, and he didn't hit the popper. He ate all of it. When, he might have got like, on his fins or something and, and you know, skinned off of him. Who knows? Who knows? But it was super. Like, well, it wasn't fun at all because I didn't even get a drag pull out of him. It's okay if they go. Whoa. That's one thing. But this was just chug, chug, set the hook. Oh, okay. Hmm. Life is good. When me and my wife, when me and my wife were first dating, I took her ice fishing, and it was like nasty, freaking cold. I had a shanty, and but the water was still crystal clear, and we were. She was sitting there watching, and we were at just a normal, like a lake here that has pike in it. Well, she ended up catching a thirty-inch pike through the ice with no leader, just straight shiner and a circle hook. And brought in the biggest pike. She beat me for that, but she said, "Yeah, that's she's a girl, though. Yeah. That's not fair." Yeah, no. Get, my wife fishes one time, and she'll catch a twenty-nine inch trout and go, "I've got a pretty oh. one with spots all over it, Troy." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. That's and, a uh, trout. Most people are posting that on their feed or whatever. My, so uh, tell me a little my, bit my, about this archery. You you said so. You're way up north. Yeah, so I'm in it north. with an archery shop that's in Oklahoma. Uh, uh, that Paris, Texas, actually Reno, Texas. Now they moved, but no kidding. Yeah, the Broadhead Barn, owned by Charles Jones. I was having, I was having problems with a Martin uh, Jaguar takedown recurve, and I put it on one of the Facebook pages, and he answered, and he became like really good friends with mine. Then he asked me to join, uh, if I wanted to go on, help him out with the social media, like ProStat when it first started before ProStat got a bad name. And uh, I've been ever there ever since. Now they have a he 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 developed a a cover scent company with down there. You can use the tractants like corn and all that stuff. So there's a couple of corn scents and it's all water based. And he sent me some of like their dirt scent because I was I have very sensitive skin. I'm allergic to like I like the big box store uh, cover scents. I like I would spray my clothes with it and. I would break out. Well, he goes, I made this here. Try this. It's radio sense. It's pay dirt. It's, it smells like dirt. It works. Huh. It's water-based. It's you state legal. So, yeah. He's a nice guy. Yeah, right. Doesn't mess with your skin. Everything's good. Yeah. You don't turn into a giant red flashing mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I used, uh, I'm not going to name drop, but I used a certain company that has silver sulfide in it. I was yeah. peeling my skin. I was peeling my skin off. Oh. I got done hunt. Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. That's bad. no. 
but uh, I he, he got me into a this year. He taught me into getting a switching from a, a recurve to a longbow. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm in a a bear Montana longbow. I have I have monkey arms, so I have like a 31 30, 31 and a half inch draw. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm sure it's 35 pounds, but my draw is more, it's more like 45 and I have yep. heavier arrows, not like super heavy, but it gets the job done. Now I just need to connect. There's I need to be in the right place. The right Midwest, from, from somewhere around North of Oklahoma somewhere, there's long arm people because I don't know what the hell's in the water up there. When I first met War Britain with the hunting public and Jake, when I first forgot talking to him, they said they had like 30 inch drawings. And I'm like, we're looking at you. You ain't, I mean, I'm six feet tall. You ain't, you know, Jake's a pretty tall kid, but they got arms down to their damn knees. I'm like, holy yep. smokes, what are they doing to you people up there? Because we're all T Rex people down here in Texas. I don't know what that is, but it sure helps. I have, I have a question for you that you may or may not be able to answer. Okay. What's the rage these days? What's the excitement with the low poundage? I shot a stick for 10 years. Okay. I, bu- I, I, shot, I shot trad. I didn't even have a compound for a decade. I shot wood oh. and larch and fir and cedar and woodies and single bevels and feathers. And I mean, I did all my, I burnt this, the wood and all this custom paint jobs. I had a spinner to paint them and all. I mean, I went over the top, and then went to the next level on that stuff. It was nuts. I killed two javelinas with with flint. So I, I, I went into crazy, right? Yeah. But yeah. When, uh-huh. when we did it, everybody shot 55, 60 pounds, right? Yeah. What's what's the deal with the low poundage these days? Like, the reason why the reason poundage is because my shoulder shit playing playing baseball. So, oh, uh, yeah, I my my recurve I still got up there. One's forty five, one's fifty five. I think I got a sixty pound up there too. <laughs> and uh, well, it seems I to, just, it seems like the stick bow world is is draw, new, new. You know, the new thing is forty pounds. Yeah, and I think I mean, here's a the, the whole here's the thing that I've been seeing. We've been at the Broadhead Barn. I like I help all the social media, so I do like all their posts and all that stuff for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been seeing he's been selling a lot of forty-five pound bows. Well, uh, I think that's pretty much now. That's all he can pretty much get your hands on, like frequently all the time. But I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you got you got a point there. Everybody's going lighter. I don't know. If it's because they're shooting carbon fiber and. It, Supposedly is faster. I don't know. I think the bows, I think the bows, this is what I don't have any problem. I don't care. But because um, I, I know there's a lighter draw like generally is accurate, more accurate. You can have yeah. weight, right? 65 pound longbow is a, is a lot to deal with. Most people just short draw to 26 inches and call it say they have a 20 inch draw length. They never get there. Yeah. It's fine. I don't, I don't care. And maybe the bows are more efficient. Like I said, I, I'm old enough that there wasn't carbon fiber uh, it, layers in the laminate. There wasn't a lamination yeah. for carbon fiber. So uh, I think that the bows are as efficient at 45 pounds as a regular wood bow at 55 pounds. So it's all the same. It's just easier to handle the weight. I think that's what's going on. I just don't know. 
I'm just I, amazed I, with the light poundage thing. I I agree with it. I I think it you know it's much better to handle. You know, I am more accurate with, since I got this bow. It's lighter poundage, and for a while there, I I over tightened my takedown limbs on one of my bows, yeah. and I cracked the limb. Well, those limbs were on back order for a while, even before the whole COVID crap. Mm-hmm. And uh, my uh, son's best friend, he's like my one of like my adopted kid, puts out a garage sale in like I call it like the Richie suburbs of Rockford, and he picked me up mm-hmm. an old bear. He picked me up a old Shakespeare Super Nicita. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. But bow is like forty eight inches, and supposedly it was uh, fifty pounds, but it, it does, it's not 50 pounds, so I put it on a bow scale. It's more like 40. But I was, as I got that set up, and after Charles uh, made me a string and sent it to me, that's mm-hmm. probably one of the most accurate bows I've ever shot in my life. And it was fast. It was from like the early 60s, late 50s. Hmm. Yeah. I've but been Shakespeare amazed at that. It's just been, I, I know uh, Cody at the Trad Lab pretty well. I get to chat with him all the time, and we're bouncing information off each other and stuff and all of his posts it's you know 43 pounds at 27 inches and shot right through a deer which i don't think that's impossible and Mm -hmm. it's just interesting to see it go because you know the wheel guys are all praying to god to go faster and faster and faster and and Uh, the bad guys are more reasonable you know yeah and i don't shoot like if if a deer's at 20 i I can hit a 3d target at 20 yards and hit a 3d target at 40 yards, but I'm not going to take a shot on a deer unless it's 20 yards or closer. And do you, um, <laughs> I talked to uh, Aaron Snyder on a couple of his podcasts, and it sounds like he tunes his arrows to his point on, and that's fine. I, I don't care how you get it done. Make sure they shoot straight, but are you a, one of the, are you a point on shooter and that kind of thing, or do you shoot? I just shoot. I always instinctive i was a pitcher when i played baseball and i just i just pick a spot aim and yeah let her go and okay. it's worked for me so yeah, but my no, son I don't care if it works either way we were he, he and i were talking about arrow tuning he said yeah well, I, want, I want my because i hunt out west he wants his point on distance at like i think he said 30 or 35 i don't, I don't remember yeah it's western maybe it's a little further and maybe i do that because like i have my arrow i've I'm looking at my quiver right now. I have two different, two different uh, types of arrows in there. I have, they're both victory, but they both weigh different. One has a hundred grain brass insert in it, and it's super thick. Then mm-hmm. my my fancy looking trad carbons have a eighty grain aluminum insert in there, and they're thinner diameter, but they both fly great out of my bow. So I don't know. Maybe people overthink. I don't know. No, I mean, I think everybody's got their style, and it yeah. is what it is. I, I always shot instinctive. I just kind of pulled it back and went. I just practiced a lot. And yeah, shot. and that's all. I have a, I have two seventy-inch longbows that are one's a twenty-first century and one's a Massey. He doesn't, he doesn't. I don't think Matt, Jeff makes bows anymore. I like the twenty-first century a lot, and it's the it's the bow I actually killed the biggest pig I've ever shot on the ranch with. And nice. When I started doing the heavy arrow thing. Um, I decided to uh, build a 100% street legal Ed Ashby arrow 
over 650 and single bevel and bear shafted and all that stuff. It took me three days. This is, you know, 20 years ago. There was no information. Yeah. yeah. I think I spent three days trying to bear shaft. It was annoying. And I don't, Charles builds all my arrows. I, I tell him what I want. He cuts them to spec, built, fletches them, and sends them to me. Oh, perfect. But he, he, but I've, I've seen him in the shop building, like, he does a lot of, uh, like, tournament archery. Yep. And those arrows, like, get, they have to be a certain grain in back, certain grain up front. You only, and, cert, and the certain, I think it's, I don't know if it's indoor or field, but it's got to be the certain type of Easton arrow that they only allow. It's it's crazy. Really? And they only allow a certain yeah. arrow? Yeah, it's like a, it's a east. I might be wrong, but yeah, it's in this. It's in a. I think that's what he said. Don't quote me on this. I think it's only. I think it's a certain type of arrow they can have. It's got to be in these specifications, and they're aluminum, I think. Oh, wow, I but, didn't know about that. God, there's so many nuances to this silly sport. And like, I just want the I, uh, to go through the animal and hit the other hit the ground. That's all I'm worried about. That's my big thing. I want the ground. I mean, <laughs> three three years ago, I went up and I went up and did a like a, it was January. Our, all the deer seasons were closed around me, so I went up and did like a, a indoor three D brush shoot. And I was only a track guy up there, and you, you got down to your last target. And they hand you like a little kid's bow, a trad bow, and these compound guys. I'm not knocking them. Couldn't hit it. I pick it up and stick it in the twelve ring. So. I go. Oh yeah, we and, did one thing. I used to shoot in a trad league at our archery shop every Monday, and we took a a uh, vacuum cleaner and put it out there at ten yards, and we reversed it and threw a ping pong ball in the in the air, <laughs> and, and it just it kind of hovers there. It doesn't sit still, but it sits kind of still. Yeah, and the compound compound guys couldn't hit it, and the trad guys could. I mean, it was it was the amazing that how much more frequently the trad guys hit the ping pong ball off. It's really fun to do. It's a fun, fun shoot to reverse a vacuum cleaner and throw a ping pong ball in there. And it sort of hovers, but it moves around some. And we had a ball doing that because we all had, you know, we shot targets and whatever. And now it's a 3D league, but shooting the ping pong ball was uh, quite the experience. I mean, it was, it was super fun. And then to see somebody stroll up there with a uh, with a compound and just sit there and just send arrows, hit nothing was it was pretty amazing. My uh, probably needs my bu- some trad stuff. My buddy who I hunt with, Cody, he's a a federal gunsmith, and he's got a a nice little. It's a private range. You, he used to have it opened up as a club to the public, and he lives out in the county, but like Kitty Corner is like a subdivision to his house, like. Three quarters of a mile down the road, and at the at that first house was the alderman's mother, and she would call the sheriff on him, and he goes, "I got sick of it, I just shut it down." But he still goes out there and shoots. Well, he's a trap range, and we were taking my recurve and my longbow shooting trap with with that with flu arrows. It was, I mean, every every like fifty fiftieth clay pigeon you would hit it, 
But you're saying you shot fair. It's super yeah. fun to try. It's super fun to try. And then if you change the flu flus, it changes your whole trajectory. So your brain's a little screwed up for a while. You yep. got to figure that out. You got to get the snarrow points. You know? Hey, Charles put me up with the snarrow. Charles put me up with these. Uh, oh, they're made by the Swacker. They're, they're made for shooting squirrels. Yeah. And it's like a, a blunt tip, but that's got like looks like claws coming off it. I've shot pheasant with it. I've shot squirrels with it. I've shot trap with it. And it gets the job done. Yeah, it gets your job done. Do y'all get a the right. up there? Yeah, it's big up here. I don't. Oh, really? Like, here, here's my thing is I've done it before. It's fun. But if I'm going to kill someone, I'm going to eat it. Yeah. And yep. so I don't. I don't. I mean, if now they say you can shoot channel cat. Oh Which, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, I go okay. If I can do that, I'll I'll take him home. But I'm not. I don't plan on bowfish, redfish, and stuff. I mean, Louisiana I don't see how they can fish redfish and everything else. I don't see how you can get away with that. I mean, I mean, it's a game fish, but it's also Louisiana just, too. Their state laws allow for it. You can't kill forty of them. I think you get the same limit as a as a as a hook and line guy. But yeah, you can shoot them with a bow and arrow. And but I'm pretty sure they're not throwing them on the bank either. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we have we have a couple of invasive. They and a couple of lakes here in Austin. They've put those grass carp in to try to keep the grass down, and uh, which kills the bass fishing. It's terrible for the bass fishing. But oh yeah, they put way too many carp in there, and so now they've opened it up to slay in the the uh grass carp and there some of them are like 40 or 50 pounds i mean they're absolutely enormous you know and people just have a hell of a time whopping those guys shooting buffaloes and carp and then you'll cruise into a whole school of those silly grass carp and just wail on them and uh I, at some level it's probably okay for the ecosystem because they get everything gets out of check i mean the, you don't mess with the carp they're just going to get more carp you know now have you bone have you ever bone fish before I have not. That's one thing I want to do. All right. Now, uh, have you fly fish? No, I don't fly fish yet. Okay. I have yeah. enough addictions. I have enough addictions. Uh, I know what will happen to me is I'll go way off the rails on the fly rod. That, and that's why I'm like, not I got, doing it. That's what I did. I mean, I'll, this year is the first first year, probably in three years, the season I actually picked a spinning, spinning reel during the fall and was yeah. fishing for walleye. With a, a jig and minnow, because I like to eat them. Yeah, but uh, uh, fly fishing for carp, dude. You can see these stupid. You can see them, and yeah, right. some days you throw a crayfish at them, they'll charge and eat it like from fifteen yards away. You can bounce uh, the thing on their head, and they won't. But no, it, it's crazy. Then uh, that that's what I did for like three years. I got wrapped up in it. And above the above the creek I fish there's a dam. Above the dam, it's crystal clear and you can wait it, it's like almost like a salt flat. Mm -hmm. And you can you can see these big big carp and suckers out there feeding and you can you can cast for them all day long. It's fun fun to take my kids. No, <laughs> any, listen, any big fish on any adequate fishing rod is the best. Oh. I just 
you know, I was talking to Ernest, our fishing guy down there. He's been guiding in a flats boat and, you know, level line gear and all that stuff, wade fishing for years and years. And he just started fly fishing. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, how did that go financially? And he goes, it's a money pit, Troy. So now mm-hmm. I've got seven fly rods. I've got a new skiff. I said, you have a boat. He goes, no, but you got to have a fly boat, Troy. I was like, yeah, I yep. know. that's why I'm not doing it. That's why I'm not going to do it. I just do not want another one. I, mean, I, I got the archery thing, and then I want to catch a 10-pound bass. That's what my newest goal. Started trying that for three years, last three years, and I, I cannot break eight. I think what's going to happen is I'm going to break eight, and I'm going to catch a 10. Yep. I sit here and keep, I keep catching seven, 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 ten, seven 13s. And I'm going to stick an eight, and then I'm going to stick a 10. And then I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess there's other – I go bonefish, go catch a permit. I need to catch Man, some more tarpon. There's plenty of things to do. My mom, my mom's cousin, he lives, up, he lives a little north of Tampa Bay, but he's a, a saltwater guide. And he, he guides for tarpon. And he guides for he, – he retired and sent me all his fly fishing gear. Mm-hmm. Like, like the lower the lower weight saltwater gear that he don't use. So yep. I fish for pike and all that. Because I'm retired. Here you go. Man, they move up to Minnesota for a while. They were living out of, yep. we call it Taj Mahal, like a motorhome. Yep. And uh, then they bought a house back in Florida and he's dying again down there. He says it's an addiction. But he uh, just caught some pretty nice tarpon on a fly rod. He caught tarpon on spinning gear. But he goes, when you're trying to catch a big fish, dude, and everybody thinks go big or go big, you downsize and most likely going to eat it. Tarpon are really, really funny animals because they're big, but they eat a lot of little stuff. Yeah. Bass, as they get bigger, eat bigger things, generally speaking. And most fish do, and big trout do that. And redfish somewhat, but sharks definitely. I mean, if you want to catch a big shark, you need to put big baits out there and eliminate all the little sharks. We but were uh, tarpon really? are very, very strange. They get they'll get on one inch, you know, silver sides and just gulp them by the mouthful. Yep. And they're just that's what they're eating, and that's it. They 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 won't hit a seven inch pilchard, even though they got a mouth as big as you know half of or ha- as big as a milk milk jug. And no, you guys have, they're tremendously you guys, big. You have stripers down there, don't you? In some of the lakes we do. I've never um, figured out how to catch them. But in some of the lakes, we do have stripers. That's another thing I want to do. I want to do the saltwater striper thing. I want to go over in on the north in the northeast and go catch them in the surf. That would my look bro- like a my, poot. My brother lives in uh, Philadelphia, which he says he's he's forty five minutes away from the, the Jersey Shore, mm-hmm. and he went striper fishing this uh, this this fall. And he goes, "Dude, you won't uh, you won't understand it, man." Oh, it's a whole nother world. Oh yeah. You got some long ass spinning rods and big poppers and big lures and and then dragging up a you know twenty-five pound fish up on the beach. I bet it's a blast. I mean, I bet it's a total screen to do that. I my my fishing addiction in life has about the bass fishing thing is just something I want to do and catch a 10 pounder. But um the surf, the beachfront has been I mean, I've been fishing the beachfront in Texas since I was 17 years old. Yeah. And I got really good at it at one time. And, you know, big sharks and, you know, 
big redfish and caught a couple of tarpon down there and a bunch of trout and blah, 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 and started just lure fishing in the surf. And I think I'm going to start shark fishing again. My kids are now in their 20s. <laughs> and they're big enough to handle uh, weights for me. Well, you got to <laughs> take the baits out in a kayak. Yeah. <laughs> they're too big to cast. So was... ideally, you have a 15-pound piece of jackfish with, you know, 12 or 14-odd hooks in it with big wire and big gear. And, and when the rig goes off, it is it's really cool. I mean, it's a lot of sitting around waiting. It's kind of like trolling for Marlin or whatever. There's a whole lot of nothing. And then there's a massive amount of chaos. For, and then when uh, you get an eight foot bull shark up, you got to go out there and rope it by the tail. <laughs> yeah. You can't pull it up. You can't grab it. It's too strong. And you can't just pull it up on the beach with the line. Cause I only fish 50 or 80. Well, the fish yeah. weighs 350 pounds. So you can't, you can't just beach it. Yeah. So you got to wait out there with a rope, let it swim by you like a foot and a half in front of you, and then grab it by the tail and rope it and pull its tail out of the water and drag it up on the beach. That it was like, legit. It is legit awesomeness. Well, it's my super fun. My son is seventeen, and his best friend, but they're fighting now. They're not. They're not friends right now. And he's eighteen. <laughs> they, and his friend lived with us for a while because he lived with his grandparents and. Yeah, his grandpa and his grandpa, his new girlfriend, get along. So he moved out, and they're a quarter mile down the road. So he moved in here. Well, the whole probably from June until August, I come home. I go get my wife from work. Come come home, and my canoe would be gone. No, they 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 would take my canoe out, and they rigged up the lights on it. That they found out where this big old flathead lives, and they would row out. Drop their bait down, open the bail on their pole, and go back away from it. They got him. They got up about five times, and they said he starts dragging the canoe up river. And they finally break. No some, kidding. Yeah, we have some big flathead here, and it's like it's always those, those urban legends, like divers go down below the dam, and there's yeah, right. You always hear that. Oh yeah. Well, my dad has. There's a couple of rivers here that have absolutely enormous gator guards in them too, and people catch them on, on big chunks of carp. My uh, my, I, wanna, I think I want to do that too. I mean, they catch six and eight footers, like big, big carp or big guards. Are you looking for a, that? You want to do that on your own? My buddy Lou Bob, he's a long haul truck driver, and he did that last year down on the. I want to say the red. I don't think it's Red River. Maybe it is Red River. Probably the, maybe the Red or the Trinity. One of the two. Trinity, Trinity that was it. And he got, mm -hmm. this thing was like almost nine foot. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. They catch some absolute monsters. And it just looks like a blast. Put on big old heavy braid and 80 pound braid and a big ass spinning rod and just go to town on a big giant freshwater fish. That sounds I caught a four foot gar the other day on a on a chatterbait of all things <laughs> in the river. And uh it was a blast. And I can't imagine catching one. That was a big spotty gar. They don't they don't get much bigger than that, but I don't think, but they don't get fat. They get long, but they don't get fat. And the gator gars get fat, two hundred pounds, you know. Yeah. That would be a scream. Catch a fish that big in fresh water. No, we have a 
we have some nasty winters up here. We get a lot of snow, then you get a lot of rain, and it just blows everything out. Well, above one of the dams on the Rock River here in Rockford, north, almost the Wisconsin border, is like a, a mm-hmm. flood. It's all like, I call it like perfect whitetail habitat. It's all like lowland oak trees. Mm-hmm. But above the dam, then you get current in there, and it's all weightable. So, make a long story short is we go in there in the springtime when it's all flooded in there and go fish your uh, northern pike and muskie. Well, mm-hmm. no one told me that these things would hit at my feet. I'm out there in waist deep of water and I'm throwing in between these big oak trees working a, a nice size floating rapala. This big mm-hmm. 40 muskie hits right at, right at my ankles. I set the hook and I, I obviously lose them, but we took my kid up. I took my son up there three years ago, and he was throwing a like a spro frog because it was a little bit warmer. And the leopard frogs were out and were migrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had he had a big. I want to say it was a long nosed gar eat his spro frog. No oh, sure. And he, all he saw was a nose come out of the water. <laughs> he fought that for like like twenty minutes and. Me and my buddy Josh, he's a, a five fishing guy, and he was a guide service there. We are trying to – it's so big. We were like – I was like an acre away from my kid, and he was like two acres. And we're trying to get to him to help. And he got the thing to his feet, and he goes, Dad, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do. Yeah, right. He goes, I'm not reaching down. There. This has got teeth. Worse than a muskie. And yeah, he just grabbed him in the middle, forced him up on the bank. He he grabbed some. He grabbed grabbed that uh, grabbed the hook by with his pliers, twist and let it go. And uh, he he went and sat in a lark for the rest of the, the rest of the time we were fishing. He goes, I'm the gone. guys the guys here when they get those big gars on, they put a they put a lasso a rope and they just run the rod through a lasso, run it down the line, and then when it gets on their nose, they winch it down and pull them up on the bank. Gotcha. That makes sense. Then uh. Somebody asked me because I knew I was gonna have, a, have you on the show, and uh, they're like, "I know he's not a, a mechanical product kind of guy, and I'm not. I mean, I shot him for years, and mm-hmm. they work. But I, yep. my philosophy, my philosophy on why, why don't they work? I said because your bows are getting faster. They don't, they don't give them time to open up now. I said, "There." I said, "Have you ever shot a Nerf football with a bare shaft?" They're like, no. I go do it one of these days and see what happens. Yeah, right. Bounces off. No, it goes through it. Oh, a bear shaft. A bear shaft, yeah. Oh, a yeah, right. Right through it. Sorry, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I said, all reality, you can kill, kill a deer with a field point if you really – it's shot placements, everything. I said, so what, was your, what was the person's question? They wanted to know why, uh, why, uh, why the expandable mechanical broadheads fail. I told them because the bows are getting faster and they don't give them time to open up. Well, there's a couple of things going on there. I've shot a lot of them in the last month through all kind of random targets on high-speed camera. So there's a couple of things going on there. One is the the amount of impact energy uh, causes the failure you're talking about sometimes they just don't they, they don't open up it just it's a tremendous amount of of pop when they hit an animal and then um should they deploy 
if they are not hitting perfectly square, perpendicular to the target, there's a very high chance with very few mechanical broadheads that the blades on one side will open and the others will not. They can't. Like, just talking about the, if you're going to shoot a, a mechanical broadhead, it's the one that slipped backwards are probably the most practical strategy. The over the yeah. top stuff is ridiculous. Yeah. So, if the broadhead hits at a quartering angle and hits perfectly, well, anything but perfectly perpendicular, it has to hit perfectly vertical. The inside blade is going to deploy first. There's no beating that. No. There's there no is. way anything else could possibly occur. And then later on, the second blade will deploy and it kicks the arrow sideways. There's just nothing else that can occur. Just if you think I'm crazy, which is fine because I am, but I really have studied this stuff. Take any over-the-top mechanical or rear deploying, push it into your target at a quartering angle, and watch yeah. what happens. The inside blade's going to open up, lay against the meat, and then later on, the the other blade's going to deploy, and they're at different angles the whole time until they completely lock back. Yeah, it the makes sense. Still the arrow's still going forward. Yeah. The minute that that blade touches the meat and starts deploying and pushes against it, the back of the shaft is going to go. So the energy has to go somewhere. Yeah. And then the other blade deploys later, and it's basically an airspace, and it goes sideways. So on perfectly broadside shots in the rib cage. You're probably going to be okay. Yeah. But anything that, anything other than that, you're asking for trouble. And then there's a second part of it that people just do not ponder. Many of those of the really popular brands are made overseas, and they are not going for the low, the highest bidder and the highest quality steel they can find. Yeah. The blade edges themselves may be sharp in your hand, but I'm but, they can, I don't I'm not convinced they survive impact really sharp. I've shot them a lot, and I've had them get you know the blades are like look like an S when you pick them up because of the torque and they've got chunks knocked out of them. The blades are flattened; they're not very sharp. And I haven't my experience with mechanicals was either hero or zero. Yeah, that's that's way. So even out of a compound, well, I, I sure as hell don't shoot a con shoot any mechanicals now. But when I did, it was either the most cool, it was the coolest marketing video you've ever seen, or it was the saddest day you've ever seen. And we'd occasionally find the sad ones. Now but I have never. There was no consistency in this gory blood trail thing. Yeah, I have See, a friend. Good friend that swears by rage hypodermics and yeah. they, they work for him but you know what he's also a great target archer and 3d archer so his bows are his bows are tuned and he can hit what he's aiming at i and i told him i said it's not which car it's it's it's, it's like chevy versus ford on trucks they are well, we have the we have the jump in the oh. string thing and then that's a problem that we'll never resolve. 
And then the skill sets of the archers themselves, as you said, this guy yeah. shoots lies, he's a target guy. Some people are better under pressure. There's a lot of different nuances to shooting he, an animal. He so I don't get that luxury up here. We, yeah. well, not really. Well, make it a short story. Uh, there's a farm about two miles down the road from me. They had a bunch of potbelly pigs. They had cows, they had horses. Well, all of a sudden, the people that lived there just up and moved and left all the livestock there. Well, when animal control got there, the pigs were gone. They were the first ones to get out. Well, we have a high, like, crossbred potbelly pigs running around here. We had, there, <laughs> there wasn't the 24 of them. When, I, when we get done with this, I'll send you the picture, dude, and you will laugh. This is in my backyard in my horse pasture. And I went, I went out, and I went out. I went out, and I went out, and things started coming after me. It has, it has cutters and everything, dude. It, I go, holy shit. And I, but, yeah. He was only but, cutting coming at you because he was a pet at one time. He thought you were going to feed him some crackers. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't want to find out. He had piglets with her too. So I got uh, a lot of. I got a lot of friends who uh, who've had a lot of experience with pigs, and they've. There's been very few situations where they've gotten in where it's been dangerous. I've had people get charged, and I say that with yeah. quotations around it, because you're in the thick stuff with them. Yeah, and they don't know. You shoot one, and there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, you're in the trail, right? Well, they they go down the trail. You just get your fat butt out of the way, and you'll be fine. No. I haven't had much trouble with them, but maybe those are the ones that have been around people. Might be different. No, Illinois. We had some guy like down towards. I don't know if you're familiar with Illinois, but we have the Shawnee National Forest. Well, four. I think it was five or four or five years ago. A guy brought. We have there's wild pigs in Tennessee. Well, this guy decided that he's going to bring a, a trap a bunch of these wild pigs, bring them over the, I think Ohio River, I think that's the river there, and put them in put them in Shawnee National Forest in Illinois. Great day for hunters. Well, the DNR found out about it and he got they caught him. Well, a little too late though. But uh, you only can take you only can shoot wild pigs during firearm season here in Illinois. So, like, when I had 14 of them out back, I couldn't legally shoot them with my bow. Yeah, that, that's going to take care of itself. That's a stupid strategy because if you don't kill them, uh, those repop- things can survive anything. They are so amazing. And the bigger they get, the better they what? are, and the smarter they get, the harder they are to get. I mean, they get a shot at. They're going to – there's going to be plenty of them. Don't worry. Like the law change when they get to be a nuisance. My uh, my grandparents moved from up here down to northeastern Arkansas, and they bought because mm-hmm. it's like cheap, cheap down there. Well, my grandpa got a pet pig. He named it after named it after my stepmom. So you can tell how oh far my. My stepmom. Well, this pig. Oh, you want to go see Teresa? I go. You named a pig after my stepmom. Oh yeah. So we went down there, and this pig, big old sow, and I'm six five. This pig came up over my waist. That's how tall her shoulders were. Well, oh, yeah. 
I'm, I'm sleeping on the couch. I stay at one dollar for Thanksgiving. And I hear knocking on the door. It's this damn pig. Oh, is your, is your grandpa's girlfriend at the door? I said, I said why? He hasn't went out and fed her yet. She let herself out of the cage. Out of the pen. I go, yeah, right. Really, yeah, she, my grandma goes, I go, she really lets Marty goes, uh, she goes, yeah, yeah, she is. She knows where the, the food ones is. around here that get hunted a lot are very, 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 very fair targets to just get in front of you. I mean, yeah. there's, down here where it's all private, and there's a you know we have very small amount of public property here in Texas. Yeah. It's all private, and there's places where they have a ton of pigs, and they don't get they don't get worked very much or bothered, and they're kind of they're dumber, right? Yeah. But, Generally speaking, a five to seven year old, two hundred plus pound boar has seen a few things. Helicopters, yeah, idiots <laughs> shooting at them every time a truck goes by, and they get sporty. And uh, everybody thinks you just go get your deer feeder and set that thing up and spin her off, and there's gonna be nine hundred pigs. Man, no. you can the dummies will come in, but the big boys. Yeah. They come in, sometimes they come in like whitetails. They'll go all the way around the thing, checking the wind. There's been a couple that I've just had to shoot with a rifle because they're, you know, double PhD. And it's just like, this guy's, and I'm never going to get him. So he'll, he'll yeah. come out and go start circling 30 out six and two. Okay. He's not going to teach any other pigs. <laughs> my, uh, my buddy, my buddy, Charles, the guy that owns the archery cop, he has a, a hunting lease, I want to say Lamar County, I think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, he's got this big boar. I mean, this thing is big. So I get, I, he goes, I get my show camera, and that's it. I don't see him during the day. Nope. Oh, but, yeah, are, you gonna, I, are you hunting him? Hey, I'm, he hunts him all the time and goes after him. I don't hunt him. But that's yeah. He he said anytime I go down there, I, I can go hunting. All the guy, all the guys down there, it's affiliated with Rodney Bar. And goes, yeah, come down. We'll take you pig hunting. So, so the way to kill that big pig is once he starts cameraing up. Uh, you can't. He cannot hear the truck. You cannot drive in there. Ever, if you're going to hunt him. Yeah. You should he don't not wear it. anything, anything but rubber boots when you go in. Because if he pick, if he picks up your footprints, he won't come in. And yeah. you should only hunt when the wind is perfect, or don't go. Yep, that's like that's what, what I've had to do. That's what I've had to do here. There are days when I go, I, I can't. I mean, I can't go in there. And no wind is bad wind. You need yeah. some wind. And you'll get him, but you can't you can't make a lot of mistakes. So the typical pig hunt looks like this: you show up, everybody's grab assing and having a great time. Then you go for a ride <laughs> in the scooter or the truck, and they go look at all the feeders. Well, you just tipped off every pig that's big on the property that you're there. Yeah. When I'm on big ones down here at our place, I come in, go to camp, I walk. I'll walk in half a mile to a feeder. I won't make any noise. I won't start the scooter. I won't. And I'll walk in and 
I still may not see them. But I know when I drive around a lot and uh, and cha- make any small changes, it tips them off. And I'll see I'll see the zoomers and the dummies. Yeah. And then the other thing is the best if you go, okay. Okay. If you if you go when you have to go, that's fine. But if you can pick when you go, and you're forecasting to take off work or whatever, yeah. Go look at the moon chart. Yep. And go between the dark of the moon and the full moon, but not on the full full moon. Between the dark of the moon and the days leading up to the full moon. Those are the days when you're most likely to have feral hogs come out in the daytime. They get on that moon. And when that moon rises, they get up. Yep. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it, like I said, if you're going to travel, I do this on the ranch. I, yeah. when, I, when that, when that dark moon hits, I start hunting. And if I'm serious about something, and I just want to try, I'm trying to shoot a big one. Um, I'll go play around sometimes and you'll still have the little turds come in that are hundred pounds. Who cares about those? But I mean, if you never shot one, who cares? Shoot them. But yeah. Yeah. Um, that dark, if you were going to travel dark to full, right around that quarter moon's really good. And the moon comes up in the daytime and they're very likely to be there in the afternoons, which is most of the time we hunt them. Some people yeah. have them in the mornings too. I, I don't have very few. We have very few morning pigs here on the ranch. I don't know why. Couldn't tell you why. We don't. We just don't kill many of them in the morning. I got. I know. I got friends who got them every time the damn feeders go off. You know, it's just zany. So, I don't know what their pigs are doing here, but I just know <clears throat> that's the magic time. Those ten days, dark to full, and it's predictable every month. I mean, so if you go, I'd go then. That's like a deer, deer here at my property. Like I'm not high up in elevation, but above us, we have, there's egg fields. Then we have a, we have a dry wash goes down to my property and we have like 15 apple trees, a horse here, hardwoods and goes down to another, there's a creek there and goes down to another set, uh, set of egg fields. And, I always have deer coming through. I can't predict them coming through, but so either it's or, or, or it's either buck or does. That's it. You don't even get a mixed bag or anything like that. It's either big bucks or crap, crap motor does. Oh, they but, all come through together except for rarely, huh? Yeah, except when they're locked down. And I went to work like <laughs> I I told my mom I said, "Hey, I'm not going." To, Cause I live on live at the house. My parents. I, I had a stroke uh, fifteen years ago. Yeah. So I moved back home, and I and I went. I went to work at my buddy's shop. I go. I'm going to work. I, I said. I said everything doesn't seem right to go hunt this day. So I'm gonna go make some money. So I went went to work. Well, I punch in, start working on a car. I get up. My mom calls me. Goes and she video calls me on Facebook. You ain't gonna believe this. There's a big old twelve point out there, bedded down with a doe, right on right on our horse pasture, right of five yards away from my tree stand. I go, yeah, that's what it is. And those pictures yeah, I sent, they're probably his kids. So, you no, know, my friends, I've got a, my 
my wife's dad owns a house down on the coast and my friends live in it and it's right on the bay and they they have regular jobs and they send me pictures of monday and tuesdays all the time when it looks like glass saturday comes around that wind just starts cranking (laughs) (laughs) oh the animals do not they have their own thing i mean and you just got to get if you can only hunt on the weekends you got to get you know you just got to be persistent it, you'll and you'll catch the right weekend it's hard to do there's a lot of hours spent out there farting around you know with fishing rods in hand and bow and arrows and guns and whatever else or just having a good time okay and uh it's the animals do what the animals do and that you're never going to beat them no you're not. not not at their own game anyway it's super fun. I really enjoy the outdoors. It's been a great thing. The ranch here has been, I basically raised my children down here. My boys have been out, coming down here since they were born. And we had a really cool experience in, in out west. We, um, They've been cleaning animals since they were six years old. So I said, one of these days we're going to go out west and go mule deer and elk hunting. And, you know, you'll see how all this stuff works. And so we, I, I drew uh, points for him in Colorado and got four points. And we, my buddy Chris set up the hunt, told me where to go and blah, blah, blah. And the first day we shot a pretty big four point. My son had never been mule deer hunting. And the first day he blows this mule deer down at 300 yards. And, and you know, I have both my boys who cleaned 100 animals. Yeah. So, so cleaning the mule deer was not a problem. We just cleaned it up and put it in backs and four of us and went up the mountain and we were done. Well, the yeah. next day, we are, it is open, open gun, over-the-counter gun, Colorado <laughs> elk season. Yep. And this particular unit was limited draw mule deer. So yeah. There's mule deer guys and elk guys, and it's, the, it's, that, it's everything you've ever heard about. The Orange Army is out there. Yep, that's, that was the weekend here in Illinois. Yeah, so... <laughs> We figured out how to, we, we started doing glassing a little different than everybody else was. And we found a six point bull laying on the side of the mountain in the snow and some dudes walking across the ridge right above him. Well, we let them walk through. We went down there and killed that elk. And once again, I got, you know, two grown men who cleaned a bunch of animals you get that elk out of there and it's just so much fun to be able to raise your kids the right way and have all these experiences and 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 then see it come together that was a super special time you know for you know foot of, we don't see snow here in texas so we're hunting yeah. a foot of snow zero one morning and i've never been in zero and zero is freaking <laughs> cold i know you know that but i did not know yeah. that and it was always a concept of mine but it was never experienced. Well, I experienced zero Fahrenheit and it was sheer misery, but it was a cool experience, especially to have the boys there competent. You know, yeah. it's just a bigger deer. Let's go. And there we go. You know, it was super fun. It's just been great, my, great, great life down here. My son can shoot a bow. He can shoot a gun. He don't, he likes, he likes pheasant hunting. He likes squirrel hunting. Yeah. But I've ruined him on hunting deer because every time he went, he's got cold and wet. Yeah. Dead. 
I'm not, I, he goes, I love you to death, but I'm not deer hunting with you anymore. I always get cold and wet and freeze my ass off. Yeah. When I, I had my boys in the stand, I took, I took sleeping bags and I didn't worry about, but of course we stand hunt here, right? Yeah. Do, this is a little different up there, but we hunt out of deer stands here. So you can bring some Cheetos. And That's the, I, 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 he's never hunted our property. Yeah. He's always wanted to go like on, like I have permission to go hunt on this farm or that farm. These big, cute, I mean, I shouldn't say big, but 100 acres. Yeah. And every time he gets soaking wet. Yeah, I was, uh, we were fortunate here. Like I said, we have pretty decent box blinds and then you take sleeping bags and you stick them in the sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah. And they're just sitting there like a worm and you're really yep. not, you just want them to be there. Right. And then a deer will come out and they shuck out of the sleeping bag and shoot the deer. And it's, it's not, it's nothing like going bailing off and going up a tree and all the hard hunting, but there's seven. Yeah. They don't know any different. Right. I mean, who cares? They're in a sleeping bag and they're perfectly comfortable and it's 32 degrees outside. And then they got every stitch of clothing they own and they're in a sleeping bag. It's, you know, a zero bag and they're warm as toast and they're just sitting there having a great time eating Cheetos. And then a deer comes out and they shoot it and they think they're the greatest deer hunt ever. That's how, That's, I, but it's because of the way we hunt, it's, yeah. it'd be very difficult. You'd have to really have some kid with a red ass to want to do the public stomp off in the dad gum woods and that's my daughter four o'clock in the morning and do all that stuff that's her she's seven yeah my my several has a, a a buddy stand on public land mm-hmm. and she goes dad i'm buying myself a harness go, okay well yeah. she bought myself a harness and i might i might bring my tablet and headphones yeah sure, went, of course yeah yeah i said go ahead Oh yeah, she's no, it's, it's super. If you're not trying, you're not doing that with the kids. Then you're not, you're not trying to grow the outdoor sports. You just yeah. have to deal with what they are. They're young. They they are used to not having to sit still for very long doing anything, and you know a bag of Cheetos and a a little bit of crunching, and they're there with you. Yeah. If you don't get a deer, but they had fun, it just you got to take you out of the equation. It's not about the stupid deer. No, it's spending time with the kids. Right, like, and having them enjoy the outdoors. And then, I mean, my son Thomas has a friend all through middle school and elementary and middle school, and that kid never shot a gun. Yep. Never went hunting. He would sit in the stand with Thomas and watch Thomas shoot stuff. Yeah. But he would come down all the time and kick cow turds and climb the cistern and go up the windmills and throw horse apples at each other and, yep. set, you know, make fire. And he had a great time. He didn't care. And I didn't that's care either. That's right. My son's best friend. They're, they want to, they're, they're, you know, one's a, a SoundCloud rapper and he's a great kid. But ever, I taught him to shoot a bow. I taught him to shoot a gun. I yep. taught him. And they, he goes to my property. He, he set up my tent and slept in my backyard. And he called that camping. I go, that's so. And he fishes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I bought him a, I bought him a fly rod for his birthday. He was supposed to go to Yellowstone with us, and he had uh, some school issues. He was one one uh one point short of passing his class. They're gonna be seniors. They're seniors this year, so he had to, he had to take summer school. So he wasn't able to go, 
And I said, dude, you yeah, but that's a lesson. That's a lesson too. Yeah. Right. You yeah, got to do your work. You yep. have to, you have to, I mean, there's a lot missed in this world. Well, I don't know that the hunting, it is hunting people and the fishing people have this trouble, but I don't know how much men these days are focused on their yeah. legacy and what they're leaving. But you're, you're, one of these days you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all, it's all what you've done good or bad. That's left. That's it. That's yep. your legacy. Like you left my, a dirt road or you've left a mode, you know, you've left a mode field that can grow and, and, and make this world a better place. And my, it's always been my perspective. It's the same thing I do with my channel. I know I say some crazy stuff and make fun of things and all that. But at the end of the day, I want to see, I don't know how many pictures I've gotten this year, 400 yeah. deer that have been shot. Yeah. You know, and I don't know those people from Adam. Yeah. But, but they're grinning their ass off and successful. And that's all I want. I, I haven't shot a deer and I was hunting a deer this week. I think I sent you pictures of it, but yeah, yep. huge for our place. That was a huge 10 point and I would shoot that deer, but I haven't shot a deer in 20 years. Yeah. I haven't shot a deer. In now I've got a, I've got a rifle four, that has five. 38 names written on it. The 32 names written on it of people that was the first animal they ever shot. Uh, and I was there a lot. Yeah. And, and then all these pictures come in and then I don't know how many thousands of people didn't send me pictures, which is fine. But, yeah. you know, I really am trying to help. I would really like, I'm going to focus more on this, this, this year, my videos and my social stuff on really helping the average person who just doesn't get to hunt all the pro guys and, and people who have money and all that stuff get to hunt a lot. You're like Teddy Roosevelt said, he said, I don't get, I'm not a very good shot, but I shoot a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the exception, right? I mean, yeah. If you've read anything about him, he he put in the, uh, I think he stuffed the first Smithsonian with all the animals. Yep. A lot of them came watching. Yeah, right. He was over there for like five months hunting. Well, not letting many of us have the time off or the money to take all five months and go slinging around in Africa. So I really want to see the people who get to hunt 10 real 10 days of hunting a year. If they have to, if they get to shoot that the system that they send to the, towards the animal is going to do the, be the highest potential system they can. Yeah. And that's really where it's going to go now. I mean, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to still be pointed and say crazy stuff because it's fun. I like to see people get steam blowing out of their ears, but um, that's really where I want to go is to help the average guy or gal with a bow and arrow in their hand who gets to hunt weekends and they have kids and commitments and baseball and all the things that get us sidetracked, you know, by hook or crook. If you had children, you're going to be sidetracked. Okay, yeah. it's what it is. That's not a bad thing. It, it you got to take care of them. Yeah, it's your responsibility to take care of them. Right, but you get yeah. you know ten hunts a year, two mornings on a Saturday, one Saturday you get to hunt all day, and then occasionally you get to go out, and then you get two shots a year, and maybe it's quarter and two. Yep. I want you to be able to blow that dad gum deer down. Yep. And that that's really my whole goal in this super fun 
excitement becoming the ranch fairy. I don't know how it ever became what it is. I was not intending for things to be where they are now, but I guess I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's all it's about. My buddy, uh, that's all it's about. And, and also keep trying to keep the sport alive. Right. I mean, I don't think bow hunting's, I've, I really do think the ammo thing and the, you know, la last three years of the, guns and and then you know the ammo shortages really helped the bow hunting world oh yeah you can still get that stuff there's no doubt it has but like i enjoy has been so valuable to me to my kids and to i don't know how many other people that i've been able to teach how to tie a uni knot or handle yeah. a rifle properly and not blow somebody's damn head off you know just be competent in the outdoors and then I've taken five or six kids hunting on the ranch and they've shot a deer and never been hunting again. Yep. I taught all my sons how to tie a fly. I go, this thing right. is simple. I said, it will catch you any fat swims. Yep. And, and I made, I, <laughs> I showed them how to do it. Like they all wanted vacation up to a mountain boss's cabin with us two years ago, I think. Yeah, like oh, you brought your fire rods with. Oh, you ain't gonna catch nothing on that. Well, yeah. we were up here four days. I had to wait till eleven o'clock at night to be able to use my fire rods. Yeah, because they were all using them. Well, I caught a seven, seven and a half pound largemouth bass on a, a hopper at nice. night in the dark. Yeah, and I'm I'm yelling, nice. and all the windows are open in the cabin, and it's sort of like a gated community, but it's not. And the water has no boat, electric boat track or motorboat track, so the water's crystal clear. Mm -hmm. I go, I need help, guys. And they all, lights come on. My stepdad, he's handicapped, comes out on the top deck, goes, Are you snagged again? So, <laughs> I am. I'm snagged on a bass. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling, telling, telling him he's number one in my book. And uh, that's, I don't know if you heard him, that's the guy that was behind me snickering. <laughs> He, he he always he he, he rides to be all, all he has nothing else to do. He goes, I have nothing else to do to be a, just a pain in your ass. I go, oh, I guess that's what I'm here for. Hey, you gotta uh, have goals in life. Yeah, well, but I got that bassin' and it's like you caught that. Then I get I figured I was gonna get up next morning and go fly fishing. It was supposed to be calm. The water was calm. I get up. They already beat me out there and. Here they are on the kayaks with my fly rods, with my spinning gear. And boy, I'm just gonna go get me some food, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but you got to yeah. stash one under your, in your truck or something. You just hide it under the seat. Oh, know. they'll find it. Trust me. Oh, they know. Dig around. They'll run around and find it. Yep. Oh, they know. They know yeah. where they're everything. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, we were telling a story about my son Thomas. I, I. Taking my, I've been working very hard, diligently in my life to make a great brisket, and I finally figured out how to do it. And <laughs> I got it, I've got it nailed, and it's, I've got it pretty solid. And my son figured out that when I'm cutting the brisket, there's a pile off to the side that's all the burnt ends and the, the pieces I like. Yeah. So the other day, I've got a brisket out, I'm cutting it and serving it to everybody, and I've got this pile to the side. And Thomas walks up and just slides that on his plate. <laughs> and I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Man, you trained me well." And Boo! <laughs> Stole yep. all my good parts. The cut man, he knows things, right? You can have the yep. regular part. 
I want the good parts. And he took the whole pile from me. It was hilarious. So one of these days I'm going to have to have him make, start cooking briskets. I'll steal the pieces from him. My stepdad, made, that deal up. my stepdad made, showed me how to make good pork ribs. Yeah. I never figured out. I was actually, I was home one day. I watched him make it from start to finish. Then I started making it and I parboil them first and I bake them in the oven, which I know like a, a barbecue guy that's against everything. But then yeah, I'll right. finish off on the grill. But you can yep. shake the meat off those bones. Yeah, that's and yum. Tender, yeah. And uh, my, my pastor, my associate pastor at my church, he's from Ohio, he goes, man, I don't know if your ribs can, because I've ate ribs all over this country, man. He goes, I don't know what these, he goes, these ribs are better than famous days. I go, yeah, they are. Right. It's but, just hard to make 10,000 of them a day. Yeah, that's what the big that's what the big barbecue joints have on all of us. We can fart around with them for a while. They've got to be able to crank them and figure out how to keep it consistent. It's a barbecue is amazing to me. The 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 joints that stay open and crank out thousands of pounds a week of meat and it's really good. Is yeah, that's that's an art in of itself. That's just a mass production cycle. We have Dickie's barbecue up here that's supposed to be like Texas barbecue. Yeah, it's not. I'm not. I, I'm like. I'm looking. I go. I see your setup. I'm not knocking it, but you take this and you make this with that. I said, I don't know how you guys do it. I said, I was smoker slash barbecue at home, and this, it would take me twelve hours to do it. Yeah, it takes a while. The, the yeah. Texas barbecues are, you know, the briskets take ten or twelve hours. It's, it's like I said, it amazes me that the big big barbecue joints can keep pushing it out because it takes so much time they, ne- they basically never stop working they work 24 hours a day oh yeah by four o'clock in the afternoon you gotta be loading the brisket the smoker up for tomorrow yeah. you know yeah. and then somebody's got to come in the middle of the night and check on them and oh just i can't imagine what it takes to get I, it done. Uh, I smoked rainbow trout like six months ago out here and i had a brine in there for in the refrigerator for a day. I patted them off, made sure my temperature was right, and I was constantly checking that temperature. And I, I brought, I did three of them because I don't have a big, I have a, like a barrel smoker with the mm-hmm. offset. And it's not a big one. And I did it for the first time and I, I went to go eat it and they're all gone. Yeah, right. I go, son of a bitch. I go, who ate this? And my my son goes, I follow the rest of the recipe. I put put it in cream cheese and ate it out of a bagel. I go, yeah, thank oh, you. Oh my goodness. I go, how was it? He goes, one way to do it. When are you gonna make more? He goes, when I, he goes, whenever you catch I said, whenever you go catch me some more. They they caught yeah. they, they went out and caught me more rainbow trout and I brought them home. I said, I want this this size, like this. They smoke they they smoke faster and they taste better. We have a like a put and take like the DNR stocks like spring and fall, mm-hmm. and they're just, they're just hatchery fish. That's all what they are. Hmm. So, but yeah, I think we have some of that down here too because it gets so hot they don't. Well, they're starting to make it through now in some of the rivers right below dams where it stays pretty cool, right? For relatively yeah. speaking, we don't have water as cold as y'all do, but they uh, they put a lot of hatchery fish in in the winter time they put some big ones in there they put 20 25 inches in there yeah they, we we've had no rain up here yeah. really like summer like i saw sandbars and gravel bars that i never knew existed 
But yeah, I think when it all comes around, I think when we run out of time here, my uh, my podcasting is peeping at me. (laughs) Well, that's fine. That means that we're done, and I appreciate your time, and I enjoy talking about fishing. That was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Maybe I can get you back on the show, and we can talk about some other stuff. Yeah, holler anytime. Sometime in springtime, let's do it again. That way, it'll it'll have some time to stew and ruminate out there. Hey, that works. Maybe we talk about. Uh, I know Texas has a bunch of exotics. So I'm not talking like high fence, but like free, free, uh, free range. Is that term free range exotics? Yeah, they're all over the place out here. My brother's trying to get me to go to Chesapeake Bay and hunt uh, sika deer. Yeah, I uh, would do that. Yeah, that's what I want to do. But he goes, it, it requires a, a canoe and waders or, or hip boots and a climbing stand. Oh, but, yeah. I've got, I've got a, I've got the tethered saddle, so that would do. Yeah, I've not, I've not tried the the saddle hunting kind of thing yet because our cerebral palsy. So I don't know how that, I don't know how that would hand out uh, work. I can, I can do ladder stands. I can do a climber, but yeah. find somebody it, with a saddle and see if it, if you can just, you don't have to get off the ground. You can just try to hook the thing up and stand on the ground. I mean. I wonder, I wonder. I've been amazed. I got no reason to have a saddle. I went hunting with the tethered guys, and they gave me a saddle and sticks and all that stuff. And we were in North Dakota, so that's how they were hunting. So I used it. I was absolutely blown away how comfortable it is, how long you can stay in one and not get your circulation cut off. Or I was expecting all kind of problems that never occurred. And the shot angles are absolutely unbelievable. I wonder if that's the same type of stuff that tree guys use. I have a friend that owns a tree business. It's think, very similar. That's where it, can, it all came from. Linemen for telephone yeah. poles and the tree guys. But I was amazed. The, probably the most amazing part of the saddle is the shot angles. You almost can shoot 360 degrees. So there isn't a, there isn't a bad angle. I was amazed at that. And I was amazed at the comfort of it. It was super comfortable to you know sit up there for three or four hours and just hang out. It was great. We'll talk about that in the springtime. So holler at me anytime, and we will have another podcast to talk about bow hunting or, or fishing or saddle hunting or whatever. It'll be super fun. Maybe I can get you to come up here and do some smallmouth fishing. Yeah, you can probably get me to do that. I need to come up there and do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Put you on some walleye. Yeah, no doubt. All right, man. Well, have a great evening. I'll talk to you soon. Right. You too. Have a happy Thanksgiving, too. Bye. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.